Today is Sunday, February 26, 2017. This is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio, and I am Larry H. Russell. Episode number 198 of Celtics Beat, which this week is being brought to you by Blue Apron and Seat Geek. Annual tradition, the man is here once, and uh, it's always on this day, the Sunday after the trade deadline. The Boston Herald's Steve Bolpet, long, 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 long time Celtics Beat reporter for the Herald. And uh, so, Steve, you have the invitation to interrupt me here, but... Um, one of our listeners, Matt R., sent me a message on Facebook immediately after the 3 p.m. deadline back on Thursday saying that this was the best Celtics non-move since the infamous Justice Winslow near trade with Charlotte on draft day a couple of years ago, which the Hornets reportedly declined. And, and uh, thank God, um, that would have been a debacle of biblical proportions. So, uh, you know, that actually got me thinking when that was presented to me, and I was very happy after the Celtics retained that Nets pick back on Thursday as well. But, you know, as good as... Uh, as good of a personnel guy Danny Ainge is, just how lucky he has gotten on some moves that presumably to one degree or another he really pushed for or at the least had interest in making. And I got, the rumors were out there and it was it sounded legitimate. And this is this is why I need you. So once again, like interrupt me if any of these were complete BS at the time. But it's just recollection of my entire memory. I go back this first summer here. He wanted to trade. Antoine for Latrell Sprewell, uh, the summer of 03. Didn't get the best return for Antoine Walker because of the late LaFrance contract, but he was able to get first-round draft choices, which were very important. So Antoine for Latrell would have been bad. Al Jefferson for Allen Iverson in 2006. Ooh, wow, that would not have gone over well, especially when Al Jefferson was the key piece to getting Garnett. And remember the first Garnett deal that included the number five overall pick? Um, that would have prevented them getting Ray Allen and putting together that team. And I got my own. Danny told me to my face that he thought that in 2010, like when the team was playing 500 ball after Christmas, that he thought the window had already shut on that group. Uh, Ray Allen for Monte Ellis was talked about. And then just a downline and Pierce for Ray and Ray at the deadline in 2012 before the Eastern Conference Finals run. As we know, and a year and a half later, he flips Pierce and Garnett for the Hall, the Nets pick now. And then uh, Kevin Love uh, to pair with Rondo. That, that we were, Everyone was really hoping for that. Um, but so actually, here we go, Steve. Uh, no Jimmy Butler, no Paul George. They have retained that Nets pick. They have retained Jalen Brown, the Nets pick uh, the following year. Everybody else. So uh, I ask you, um, <laughs> I don't know, point blank, is uh, is this that again? Well, it's a lot to digest. Um, look, I, th- I think that you have to look at this situation and say what was realistically available to the Celtics. And uh, I don't think that what it would have taken to get Jimmy Butler from Chicago was worth what Chicago wanted. The Bulls think they're going to do a rebuild while still maintaining a competitive stance. And, you know, that, that's really difficult to pull off. And they were going to try to do it through essentially gutting some of the Celtics' core players and taking the big draft pick. Um, the Paul George thing became a non-starter for, for every team in the league, really, when Paul George made it known that he was either going to 
win in Indiana or leave to sign with his uh, with the Lakers when he's when he's uh, in a year and a half. So you know that's what you're looking at here. So you know you don't do really do either of those. So what's left? Was it okay, Ali? I'm gonna I'll ask your opinion here, Steve. Would you have been okay with the Celtics putting? This year's Nets pick on the table. Very simple, staple question, but I think this is what it all dials down to. And this is your basketball opinion. Sure, absolutely. You think they're good? I mean, so I mean, my question to that is: would, Does that not create a situation where, and this is my argument, where they're not quite good enough to win it this year, and then in two years, all of a sudden, they would have eighty-five percent of the salary cap tied into Al Horford, Isaiah, uh, Paul George, or, or Star X? And then no Nets picks. That's eighty-five percent of the salary cap into a team two years from now. Is that, I mean, is that a title-contending team? Well, first of all, they're not. You know, if you if you trade this year's number uh, number one pick from the Nets, uh, you're getting. It's more of a, a a guarantee of you're getting a star. Certainly, if you have the number one pick overall and you take Markel Fultz, there is evidence to suggest that he could be a transformative player. But there is that, you know, that measure of unknown. Do we need to go through the list of number one overall picks in the last several years that have not quite panned out as expected? Um, so, you know, that's uh, that's the thinking why you would give up a number one pick. But I, you know, um, look, if you can get a Paul George, if you could have gotten him at a, at a reasonable price. You could still. It doesn't preclude you from making other moves. Uh, if you've got players left, you do. You would have players left that have value. There are deals to be made. Um, but you know what they're thinking obviously was, uh, in this case, was they they'll take the draft pick this year and go into the free agent period and hope to score something there. But also, just because they didn't trade the number one pick now doesn't mean they're not going to trade it in the days leading up to the draft. That's when I think the pick will have more value, especially if things go well in the lottery in May. Um, we'll see what the what the true value of the pick is. Also, teams tend to fall in love with players up the top of the draft as the draft gets closer. Um, so I think it's I think that's where you see more of your major trades made. So I wouldn't say that they've totally written off this prospect. You'll also have time then to uh, potentially, if you can work things out with Indiana, uh, you'll have a chance to discuss this. You know, usually they'll get a, a window of opportunity from the from the Pacers to discuss an extension with Paul George or just discuss his future plans. It really comes down to a similar situation that's happened with Garnett, Kevin Garnett. Yeah, so you weren't going to get Garnett until you, you weren't going to accept a trade for Garnett until you had assurances that he was going to hang around. I got to go back to that comment, though, that you made about, well, you don't know about the number one pick being a great player, whereas you know Paul George is great now. You know Jimmy Butler is great now. You know whatever Star X is great now. My whole argument and thesis really is, is say, let's go to, you know, we'll use the Garnett comparison for fun. That Celtics team, as it turned out, I mean, they were a piece away. Certainly, we didn't expect the championship that first year, but they were a piece. They were Kevin Garnett. As soon as they acquired them, 
I think the Celtics ended up being like, they were like third in the NBA that year, or even second in terms of odds of winning a title after they got Garnett. So that certainly catapulted them to the top of the league. It just goes back to the simpleton argument that I make about just, I'm not sure Paul George or Jimmy Butler catapults them to the top of the league. And then, yeah, okay, you don't know if Markel Fultz is going to be a star. You don't know if Lonzo Ball or, or whomever, and go all the way down the line, Isaac and those guys are a star. But first off, you keep you maintain tremendous flexibility in the assets that you do have. And then the whole salary structure, like I said, it just goes back to you know, you having about eventually, in, in a year from now, after this year is over, you have 80% of your salary cap tied up into – three players who I just don't think constitutes a championship core where, yeah, there's a huge miss, you know, unknown about Markel Fultz, but he's only going to cost you, you know, a couple million dollars on the salary cap for the next few years or so. And you got to keep all your assets, you know, in your, and I know you're very close to the Celtics organization. What type of flexibility do you think the Celtics put a premium on when it comes into terms of how they view this current group? Well, first of all, with your argument, and I don't want to get into an argument about this stuff because it's, it's not what our, you know what we're here for. It's, but it's the you're assuming that everybody on the roster now is still on the roster. Then, you know, I mean, uh, you're, you're precluding the the idea that they could make other moves, um, and yeah. So I don't know. I, I look at this at going forward and saying their idea is clearly, that, as I wrote several times leading up to this, what I was hearing from GMs around the league was that Ainge had placed a large premium on having the ability to be a player in the free agent market this summer. So uh, clearly Ainge believes that he has an opportunity to, he wanted to, to keep available a max salary slot. Uh, so, you know, you would have to think that he has at least an idea that he can get something, or I, I dare say I don't think he'd be that protective of the ability to go into the market. So I read into that what you wish, but hey, look, the the best thing would for this team would be uh, to to get the number one pick, make the number one pick, have it be Markel Fultz, have him be the transformative player that many people think he's going to be. Uh, he's a guy that can play in a, even though he's a point guard, he can play in a backcourt with Isaiah Thomas off the ball, um, and then free you know, have money for a free agent and get a large free agent this summer. Um, that would be the ideal scenario, but things have to work out. And when you look back at the Celtics going into the draft in 2007, this team was. The Celtics were in many ways behind where this team is. Well behind, in my eyes. But sorry to interrupt they, you. They, they turned the number five pick into Ray Allen. Uh, they end up getting um, Garnett because, at least in part, well, for the main reason I got Garnett was because the owner in Minnesota said he wanted that he wanted Garnett off the team. Basically, hey, we're we're not doing well giving this guy a whole bunch of money. You know, we can lose just as well without him uh, anchoring down our, our salary structure. So that was, you know, McHale was under orders to move Kevin Garnett. And the Celtics, because of developing assets uh, like Al Jefferson, etc., had the best package to offer. This was not, I've written it a thousand times and people just still 
like to play the old narrative, which is false, that McHale gave Garnett to the Celtics because he's buddies with Ainge. That was the best offer. He was either that or an offer led by Andrew Bynum from the Lakers. So, you know, if you look at things and say, okay, well, this is where it is, there are other moves to be made. The night that they traded the number five overall pick for Ray Allen, I'm thinking if there's not a corollary move to this, then I don't quite get, you know, how bringing on this older guy is going to help you. Love reminiscing about that Garnett trade. I remember that well of Andrew Bynum and Lamar Odom for Kevin Garnett. And I think Phoenix had something uh, centered around Sean Marion, but certainly with the direction the Wolves were going in, a, a package of young players at the time was better. Anyways, uh, back to the present. And you talked about Markel Fultz. That sort of like sent a little dinger in my head. And there, I was watching a few of the terrible television shows on uh, the, some of the corporate networks where it was like, oh, well, uh, you know, if you pick Markel Fultz, I mean, that's a piece of point guard. And you already have Isaiah Thomas. And I don't understand. It's like, I mean, if, if the Celtics pick Markel Fultz and they have Isaiah Thomas on the team, am I, I'm, I'm sorry, am I going to wake up with smallpox the next day? I mean, no, we know what the Celtics are going to do. First off, he's a rookie point guard. He's not going to come right in and just say, hey, Isaiah, I'm taking 30 minutes of your game, you know, of your time. But he's obviously going to have to work his way in. But that plays into a, an interesting scenario about Isaiah Thomas. I know it's you know we're, I said let's get back to the present. Now we're really looking ahead. Uh, so the Celtics have Isaiah. I mean, he is he's always been very involved with re- recruiting players, and, and not even just recruiting players. But I mean, can, can I safely say, Steve? And I think you alluded this. Maybe I'm assuming wrong. He is a little more involved in personnel decisions on the Celtics than say. Uh, Jonas Jarepko. Am I right to assume that? I'm not sure. I think that if there are cases where uh, there's a player about whom uh, Isaiah might have knowledge, I'm pretty sure the front office is asking him. Um, you know, uh, but I would assume that's the case for every player on the team. If, if there's someone they're looking into that may have been teammates with the guy on the Celtics now, they're going to talk to that player and say, hey, what, you know, Tell me, tell me about him. So I'll get right sort of the point with to Isaiah because it seems like he's he's not really the captain, but he's kind of a de facto captain or just really most important. But and this is a, a point blank question and kind of a hot takey question, but I mean I'll still you know run with it and ask you anyways. The hypothetical of Markel Fultz, Lonzo Ball, any of these other point guards they select him a draft him or any other situation presents itself. Is Danny? Could the Celtics actually move Isaiah Thomas next year? And this is just a way out there, you know, blanket question. But I'll throw it at you anyway, Steve, because I know you're good at it. Yeah, I think every player is is movable. I mean, Ainge has shown that he won't pay a guy more than he believes he's worth. Uh, he traded uh, Kendrick Perkins uh, before he got to that point. Um, you know, that didn't work out. But you know, in theory. You're, you were bringing in Jeff Green, uh, who was um, supposed to prolong uh, Paul Pierce's NBA life, uh, and Kendrick Perkins, who, again, you weren't going to pay that, that year, and who gets to uh, Oklahoma City, and Oklahoma City all of a sudden is looking to move him right away as well. I mean, I think that's one of the most difficult things that Ainge is having with making trades is that uh, some of the players he's given up have gone to the next place and really, you know, it's, it's, that team has looked bad for making the deal. So, you know, I do it. So back to the point, do I think Isaiah is tradable? Yeah. Um, 
I think everybody is. I don't, I don't think there's a guy on this team that he w- that is quote unquote untouchable. The question in, the, in every player's case is what's the price? Um, you, you've got to make a decision. I, I did a column a couple months ago, um, or maybe a month ago. I, my mind is gone right now after a week of trade deadline. Archives uh, of BostonHerald.com, listeners. Yeah, uh, but it was basically saying, you know, among the factors heading toward the trade deadline, and one of them was, you know, you've got to figure out how much you want to pay Isaiah Thomas. And I will say this. I've, you know, when Isaiah got here, and even when he started playing well, I'm thinking, you know, this is nice, but his best role on this team is going to be eventually as a sixth man. And every time I come, I come to a, a, a conclusion about Isaiah Thomas, he kind of goes ahead and proves me wrong. So I always, I've decided any opinion I have on Isaiah Thomas will remain fluid. Um, Look, you know, the guy's done really well, and especially this year he's taken a giant step. Uh, and, I, you know, I think it's fair to wonder uh, how much of, it, of that, at least in part, is because of Al Horford and the, the kind of year that, that he's – what he's allowing them to do and how his presence spreads the floor. You know, it, no one plays in a vacuum here. You know what I mean? Uh, so Isaiah is playing extremely well. But it ain't just Isaiah, you know. It's it's part of the, the 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 entire package. Yeah, one of the things too with Isaiah in regards to that, like let's just like let's say hypothetically, you just say eh, you know as you get further on in your career or more, you know someone else develops or whatever presents itself. I feel like. I mean, I'm as big of a fan as Isaiah too, and I I made the statement here to Bob Ryan. I've I've told him privately as well. This I've been following the team since 1991, Steve. So I'm just a little, I, I hope I don't offend you, but I think this is the best single season offensively. Offensively, is this, is this where I jump in and tell you to get off my lawn? Yeah, <laughs> I, I I actually get the I'm old part. So because once you get north of 30, it's old. But uh, single, this is the best single season offensively, I think, uh, in Celtics history with Isaiah. But and because of that, I think there is almost a point of no return with him in regards to that because you can't really go back to him and say, oh. Yeah, we're gonna you know have you be sort of like you know our our Andrew Tony type off the bench type of guy. Well, he's not he's not gonna be he's not gonna become never. that you know. But I mean, look, we'll and never it, accept it. Well, yeah, true. I mean, look, that's part of his that's part of his thinking, and you can disagree with his view of his his view of the NBA world order, but it's because of. Um, having pie-in-the-sky thoughts that Isaiah has gotten to where he is. Thank you for downloading another edition of Celtic Speed, the number one podcast on iTunes which covers the NBA's winningest franchise. Today's broadcast is being sponsored by Blue Apron, the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. And they are the best for a reason. Blue Apron has established partnerships with over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the United States. And the best farming and harvesting practices gives you delicious meals that you can cook for and with your family and friends. It all comes out to less than $10 per meal, saving you time and money while building strong family bonds. From cashew chicken stir-fry with tango mandarins and jasmine rice to roasted pork with apple, walnut, and farro salad, Blue Apron gives you variety and flexibility to match your tastes. 
And as a loyal listener to Celtics Beat, I encourage you to go check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash Celtics Beat. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash Celtics Beat. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Today's episode of Steve Bullpet is also being brought to you by the SeatGeek ticketing app. As the Celtics playoff push heats up, SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every game. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. I have the SeatGeek ticketing app on my phone, and it is by far the easiest way I've found a shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps... I can instantly find seats such as the Celtics' huge game at the Garden this Wednesday against LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. And it does not end with sports. SeatGeek also has plenty of concert, comedy, and theater tickets available as well. And best of all, Celtics Beat listeners can support this production and get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To do so, download the free SeatGeek app, Go to the settings tab and click add a promo code and enter promo code CelticsBeat. That's CelticsBeat, all one word. And SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code CelticsBeat today. On to this deadline, so everything is going to be a Monday morning quarterback type thing, as it always is in the NBA. Oh, Danny Ainge should have picked Giannis Antetokounmpo in the draft. Ha, 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 ha. Uh, so everything in regards to what happened back on Thursday is going to be looked back. Oh, why didn't I do this? But the I, I don't think that's the case. Certainly, Danny is going to look uh, pretty good. Uh, if some guy from Utah ends up signing with the Celtics and they keep all the draft picks and they end up adding a player for nothing more than the salary and they still have all that flexibility. Anyways, the one instance in which there is one where you can say, like, hmm, that's one I think you could just say something about. And that is the DeMarcus Cousins thing. And for all people of me to say that, because I just did not allow DeMarcus Cousins' discussion on this show uh, ever. Like, it's something that was entertained on pretty much everywhere else for the last three years. And for me, uh, I treated it like, you know, Turkish nationals, you know, discuss the uh, Armenian genocide. It was, it was not allowed. But the DeMarcus Cousins thing is interesting because, I mean, he is technically an elite player. And the Celtics, from what we know, didn't really pursue that at all. So once again, I'll go back to asking of your astute basketball opinion on that decision. Well, uh, yeah, they did not pursue uh, DeMarcus Cousins. Um, I've been kind of doing it in one order, but let me, let me take the second thing first. I'm not sure the Celtics had what it took to get him. And I'll, because, look, you're not going to give up the Nets pick this year for DeMarcus Cousins. It's too risky, right? So let's start there and, and realize that, that the potential number one overall pick and the chance to get a transformative player under a rookie contract, so have him under your control for the next few years. You're not doing that for a guy that's got clearly had emotional issues and all that. Uh, so the, the Kings wanted to get a first-round pick this year. They wanted you know immediate, I want to get something out of this here. And the owner also was enamored of Buddy Heald. Um, and 
understand too that the Sacramento front office had to sell the owner on trading DeMarcus Cousins. The owner had become, you know, uh, strongly tied with with DeMarcus, and he's our franchise player. He's our best player, and we're going to keep and build around him. So the, the, the front office had to convince the owner. So Buddy Heald was a shiny object that they liked. Uh, you know, he's a, a potential, you know, very decent player, and that number one pick. So I'm not sure the Celtics were going to be able to give them the number one pick this year that, that the Kings wanted that would make the owner happy to make the deal go through. But in terms of not even really pursuing him, um, the important thing is to get the best intel you can on any player that's out there. Um, one of the, the benefits of being around the league for a billion years is that a lot of times I'll know if a Celtic player is available, and I've said this before, it's, it's nothing, nothing new or crazy. People you know in the league, GMs or people you've, you've uh, have dealt with over the years, Occasionally, I'll get a phone call, and it'll be someone, a GM or someone, asking me, "What, what about this guy?" You know, and uh, that will let me know that that player, usually a Celtic, um, is available. It's just kind of like an information thing, and I, I think, you know, not that that anything I tell an NBA person is going to be uh, chief among his uh, decision uh, factors, but. Um, clearly you try to find out as much as you can. The Celtics have a guy who played with DeMarcus Cousins. Does anyone think that if Isaiah Thomas had gone to Danny, or certainly Danny asked him at some point, but if, if, DeMarcus is, if, if Isaiah Thomas's reply had been, hey, this guy would be perfect here, the other stuff about him in, in Sacramento is a bunch of junk. He'll be great here under the right circumstance. This would be the perfect situation for him here. He's a fantastic player. You've got to get him. Does anyone think that if Isaiah Thomas had said that to Danny Ainge, that Danny Ainge wouldn't have pursued DeMarcus Cousins? You know, every report, too, and that's, that's a great point that you brought up, Steve. Why we had you here? But everything that you heard from over the years, you know, Grant Napier, when he, when he comes on these, this network, I think the few times I've talked to Grant Napier, for those who don't know, long time, long, long time Kings play-by-play voice who has been very critical of DeMarcus Cousins even when he, when he, was, when he was with Sacramento. But, I mean, I remember throwing things at, like, Jeff Goodman, and, and Jeff, you know, covered DeMarcus when he was at Kentucky. and was just like, don't care, no way, no way, no how. Uh, Coach Nick, same thing. He would be at Sacramento practices and just said he, you know, never see anything like that. And I know there is a right now going on Sacramento. There's sort of a Boston Red Sox kick you on the door on the way out. They're leaking all sorts of things. But there's there's just certainly just so much to that, and it's why I've always sort of been on the fence about him. No matter how talented he is, there's there's just been so much regard in regards to him. And I think it is he's too far down the line. Actually, real quick question. Was there any anything to I don't know I don't know if you know this you don't have to answer answer it if you don't want to but was there anything to like Danny Ainge thinking about him and then Brad Stevens just saying no way is there anything to that No I, that's I don't get that at all I mean people are throwing it out there without any evidence that that's the case and I you know Brad Stevens is a bright guy Brad Stevens wants to win and it takes talent to win he wants talent and he'll figure out a way to make it work in the case of of Cousins though I mean look. I did a thing on him in, uh, I guess, December when they were around yeah, here. I think December I 7th they were here. 
spoke to a bunch of guys in and around the, the Kings organization leading up to that. And by every account, he can be a real good guy away from the court. But I think there's, I think he's, there's some issues there, some emotional things going on that, you know, that it's like a, 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 something will click within him and it'll be off the rails. And I don't think I don't think he's necessarily a bad guy. I just think that you know there are certain things within him that lead him certain ways. And I don't entirely blame you know Demarcus Cousins for that. I think it's just you know each of us has certain predispositions, and I think that there's there are larger issues with Demarcus. There are guys like again there are guys around the Kings say you know. He can be a really good guy. He's bright. He can be sensitive about certain things. But all of a sudden, a switch gets flipped, and you get the other DeMarcus. And, you know, when, when I've discussed him uh, with teams in the past, over the past couple of years, you know, it keeps coming back to, you know, here's this wonderfully talented player. I mean, he does things that are, that are freaking amazing. But if it's the playoffs and it's game seven, and you're out on the floor, you know, how deeply do you trust that, you know, DeMarcus Cousins is going to, you know, uh, keep it together or be able to or, you know. Like a that, Paul Pierce in Indiana type thing. For a little throwback well, there. Yeah, but, but that was, what do you call it? That was an immaturity thing, I think. You know what I mean? And I, I Look, that, I think that's a different situation. I don't think Paul had, you know, uh, emotional issues here. Um and if you look at those circumstances, that was just kind of, you know, look at the people that were involved in that whole thing on the team, et cetera. You know, that was just, you know, that was crazy. But, uh, you know, did you ever, once Paul Pierce reached a certain level in his career, did you ever worry about him uh, in the, uh, in a deep in a playoff series? Did you ever worry about, oh, is he going to, you know, go off the rails? Um, he might go off for 30 points, but he probably wasn't going to go off the rails. Yeah, you didn't worry about him, certainly, uh, in, in that regard. So Anyways, real quick question. This is you can do real quick. There was some criticism and some talk, I guess you can say, that the, Celtic, the Celtics, they have this glaring issue at rebounding, and they may not be as tough as they were in prior years, and I believe they're something ranked like 19th right now in defensive efficiency, that the Celtics did not make moves to address that the same way a Toronto did. Uh, Washington really didn't address that because that's not really an issue. But they made smaller moves. Now, I've always said that, you know, trading in the NBA, it, it's just it's the hardest league to, to make deals in because of matching salaries and all that. It's not like in hockey where you can just, you know, go out and, like, if you need defenseman depth, you can get a third defenseman. Or in baseball, you can trade, like, cash considerations and prospect to go pick up a relief pitcher or something. It's just, it's harder in basketball, but... Maybe one thing I guess I could look at is maybe was there there was so because you threw PJ Tucker's name out there about a week ago and, and of course as we know the Raptors picked him up was there anything along the lines of that maybe the Celtics were so keyed in on Paul George and Jimmy Butler deals that they didn't have time to make those moves or was it possibly something along the lines of they just wanted to hold on to every single asset that they did have to you know have have for the ammo to make a big you know superstar swing move? Well, I. Let's take the guys that are out there. First of all, I, I think they were not really in on on Andrew Bogut. I don't think they they saw him That's as not a fit. you know that 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 was going to work out. Uh, I think they, they 
I can tell from you know from talking to agents, they did have interest in PJ Tucker, uh, and uh, the the Suns just chose to go elsewhere with that. I think the Suns might have been able to get more from the Celtics. They chose to go elsewhere. Um, the other guy that I, that I think that that I you know I'd heard from from uh, from out west was they this, that uh, the Celtics did have interest in Jamichael Green, uh, and it would have cost a bit, but at a certain point. Um, Memphis said, "No, no, th- th- that's not really going to. You know, he, he was. I'm, I guess everybody's available for for the right price, but uh, essentially the Grizzlies pulled back on on Jamichael Green being available for for something. So that that kind of you know put those things into into perspective. And then let's look at the larger picture here. Uh, I wrote wrote it this past week. You know, you're not gonna if you're not gonna win it this year." Then you know how much value is there in going out and spending an asset, even a small asset, on a small uh, improvement right now, when you know one of the things you you know you've got in the pipeline is your number twenty three pick from last year, Ante Zizic, um, who is playing well. He's he's twenty years old, and you know there's always a chance that it doesn't work out, but he's. He made the step from Croatia to Turkey, and you know uh, he's played very well there. I checked in with uh, Gigi Dutome this week, and I said, "Look, I need the scouting report on this guy." And you know, I you know much. He came back, and it was a really good report in terms of this guy's ability to develop. He's a a big guy. He will be uh, a, someone who can help them rebounding wise. So, you know, if he's able to come in here next year. And for rookie contract money, uh, give you the rebounding help that you're looking for. And I, I do think once they get their roster together this summer, even if it does include Zizic going forward, that the Celtics will try to get some veteran rebounding help as well. But, you know, does it make sense to spend an asset uh, when you're not going to win it this year, when you know you've got at least something coming that could help this situation next season. Yeah, I remember they had to throw, and you remember this well, because you originally reported the Kevin Garnett trade back in the summer of 07. They needed to throw the entire kitchen sink. It was like those Ryan Gomes that put that deal pretty much over the top. They, they pretty much need everything that you have. That's a funny thing, though, that you brought. I want to go back to when you discussed that the Celtics may have or may not have offered a, a better package for P.J. Tucker, a little wing there from Phoenix who would have brought a lot of toughness to the team. They may or may not have. I, I wonder if that, that goes back. I hope that Say Austin and Mike Zarin aren't ribbing Ryan McDonough a little too much for the past two years over the Isaiah trade. Yeah, I'm not sure it would come from the Celtics. The ribbing, uh, but you know, look, it's you know these things are hard to to figure out and and what teams want. And when you're trading your picks, you the team that's receiving them also has to kind of gauge where are those picks going to be, right? Even if it's second round picks. Are they going to be in the 60 range? Or are they going to be, you know, high for a high second round? And, you know, there are players to be gotten there. It's like everyone's obsessing right now over the, you know, well, what happens if the Celtics Slip take it fall to four? <laughs> oh, no. You know, and it's like, okay, let's take a look at the two guys that you were really hot after and you were willing to spend that pick on this past week. Uh, Jimmy Butler, okay, well, let's start with Paul George. He was the number 10 overall pick. Uh, 
Jimmy Butler was the 30th pick. They passed on him, in, too, in, right? Well, I mean, yeah. So it's, it's yeah. like, you know, so guy, I mean, guys develop. And you're, it's so easy to just look past stuff. You're going after Jimmy Butler, and you look at you, your number three pick from this past June, Jalen Brown. And i looking this stuff up, and his numbers, he compares very favorably to Jimmy Butler's first couple of years. And he's two years younger at the similar, at the similar time. So, you know, you've got to make educated guesses here. And, you know, you look at a, at a Brown and say, okay, here's this guy who's wonderfully athletic. How hard does he work? How much does he want it? Well, in those two areas, he's, you know, that's clear that here's a guy that is willing to put the work in and go after it. I mean, that was the case back when he was in, uh, you know, in high school. Um, his college, his, the coach at Georgia Tech, I wrote this during the summer league last year, offered him a scholarship, uh, I think, between his eighth and ninth grade years because he just saw, first of all, how gifted the kid was, but how hard he worked when he was coming into open gym sessions at Georgia Tech. So, you know, you're looking at, geez, you need a guy like, uh, like Jimmy Butler. Well, Jimmy Butler now wasn't Jimmy Butler when his first, his first couple of years in the league. You may have, you may have that guy already on your roster. And, you know, let's see what happens when, uh, Jay Allen Brown gets minutes, gets experience. The, the, the improvement guys make over from their first year to the second year for the true players is usually an incredible leap uh, because guys have had a year to figure things out, to understand stuff, and all of a sudden they're in the offseason, they're out of the blender where the world is moving by them so fast, and they get to go into an offseason and really put in work. And by all accounts, this kid is a a huge worker. If Jalen Brown doesn't become uh, a, a... a star-ish player in the NBA, it is not going to be from lack of effort. Well, I was just ready to ask you almost what your thoughts were on Jalen Brown as sort of a final question. If I could make one quick point, and this sort of goes back to Butler's development, I thought he benefited tremendously from being on a winning Chicago team that was in the thick of things in the Eastern Conference playoffs back then. If you if you recall, Butler his rookie season was they actually threw him right on LeBron in, in a game on national television. If I if that was my first memory of Jimmy Butler is like Reggie Miller just like fawning over him of the defense that he was playing on LeBron. And sure enough, if you actually remember a game in Cleveland at the beginning of the year when when Jalen had his first real breakout game and a Celtics blowout loss uh, against the Cavs, it was Reggie Miller fawning against Jalen Brown. So last question, I'm really going to get you to get your out. You sort of gave sort of your opinion on Jalen Brown. I know you make these types of calls if you did actually end up making them what was your sort of gauge of Jalen Brown's value around the league oh I think you know people see look again you're you're looking at a 20 year old kid so I think he's got I think he's got high value you know he's number three overall pick and the the questions are how do those guys do when once they get from the college into the from college into the NBA you know how do they do they look like they fit? And he he's you know shown no fear from the get go. Um, you know the the thing with Jalen Brown is he'll make a couple of plays a game, you know when he gets minutes that are like whoa that was that was a real interesting play. 
they don't make a couple of plays that it kind of make you you know you you turn your head like a like a dog seeing its reflection in the mirror like hmm what, where did that come from but that's going to happen um i just you know as we're talking and i i remember looking it up in the past few days but but Jimmy Butler's first year, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, first of all, in the playoffs, his, guy. in the playoffs, his rookie year, he played. Uh, I don't want to say four yeah. minutes. Okay. He played four minutes in the playoffs his first year. He played. I'm sorry. That's yeah. He, yeah, he played more in that his second the year, year. Rose got hurt for them. Yeah, but but you know, so he he didn't play like at all his first year. You know, uh, eight point five minutes a game. In his second year, he played more. But, uh, again, he was two years older and had more experience uh, collegiately than, uh, than Jalen Brown. So, you know, I dare say that Jalen Brown, two years from now, what he's doing will, will dwarf what, uh, what Jimmy Butler did in his first couple of years when you look back on things. Um, so, you know, again, is that a guarantee of future performance that he's going to be Jimmy Butler? No, it's not. But, you know, you look and say, okay, what are your physical tools and how hard do you work at it? And in those two cases, you know, those, those two boxes are checked for Jalen Brown. Doesn't guarantee he's going to be a, a, a major player, but, you know, those are the two things you have to look at, and those are, those are the requirements, I guess. And he at least meets those, and so now you can take a step forward and say, "Yeah, I'm interested in seeing how this thing, how things work out with this guy." Boston Herald's Steve Bullpet. Follow the man on Twitter at Steve B Hoop. Talk to you in 365 days, my man. All right, be well. Well, uh, we got our money's worth with that one, didn't we? Uh, let's see. Celtics plans for the summer. GMs around the league feel Ainge is confident the team will uh, <laughs> sign Gordon Hayward. Uh, him, him. Uh, Isaiah Thomas likely could have done something about DeMarcus Cousins' company, or did, did not come to Boston. Uh, and his role overall in some of these personnel decisions. So we got a lot of questions answered there. Uh, even Ante Zizic, that, that should really make some uh, of our tweeters content. Uh, I think one of the most interesting things, that bring, uh, Brian McDonough may have kind of stiffed the Celtics with P.J. Tucker. I don't know if that's a little payback for the IT fleecing. Uh, maybe you're not. But uh, Danny Ainge, that's the big takeaway. Listen, really tight with the rainy day fund as of now. Good. Uh, he didn't really even push for a Jermichael Green type of guy. And, and oh, yeah, Jimmy Butler, Paul George. I, I am ecstatic the Celtics kept that pick. I'm, I'm so, so happy. I could care less if it falls to four. Uh, Paul George, he's going to be a Laker, right? He's going to go play for Magic Johnson. Uh, Magic, actually, you know, that was the deadline, really, was, was, the, was the news with the Lakers. And, I, and I'm actually now kicking myself for as much as we got out of Mr. Volpet because I know Steve has a, has a good relationship with Magic, and I should have asked for his take on that. I'm, I'm very interested to see what Steve would have thought because, I listen, I just, for the life of me, I cannot see that one working for LA. I, mean, I cannot. Magic is, is the super nice guy, like the nicest guy ever. Uh, he even signed a, a Celtic shirt for me once back years ago. That's my story. But but his charisma has always like masqueraded his off the court basketball intellect, uh, which is not proven to be all that great uh, when it has come to coaching. Or personnel decisions uh, or analysis when he was uh, – I mean, I, I was watching an interview with him a couple weeks ago, and he, like, bragged about recommending Isaiah to the Knicks. 
And uh, it's like, dude, you know Isaiah was like the worst GM ever, right? You know that? <laughs> uh, okay, but uh, the Lakers, they did get Kobe's agent, um, Rob Palenka. Uh, Rob Palenka in as their general manager. Former agent now, actually. No experience, but agents have done well in, in these front office roles, uh, in basketball, in sports. Um, I know there are some guys in baseball, their names won't come to the top of my head right off the bat. I know Bob Myers in Golden State, for one, the NBA, but I, I can't imagine Magic being hands-off. I, I, no way. I mean, his first move was firing the freaking PR guy. <laughs> uh, that's like That's so Patino. Uh, like, one of his first moves was... Firing Andy Jick, like, let, let, like, let's see, what does this team need? Oh, oh we got to fire the, the public address announcer. That's we got. That, I mean, kind of knew he was going to be a little hands-on then. No, right? Uh, but uh, this is Celtics beat Lakers podcast over there. Seriously, uh, do know that in many in the Celtics realm take a keen interest in the Lakers' well-being. So if that is the case, uh, I suggest to those listening um, to listen to those around that team far more than I am. So. Download Lakers Nation Courtcast on the CLNS Radio mobile app. A great show because uh, they're getting enough downloads as is. Because those some beaches, they usurp my position in the top 10 in the NBA podcasts for iTunes. So how dare they? So, well, they must be putting a, a, a fourth, a pretty good product if that's the case. Um, all right. Final announcements. Why wait? Let's go. Uh, the ticket giveaway for the month of February. Tomorrow's game against the Atlanta Hawks. Entry was simple. Following me on Twitter at CLNS underscore LHR. Winner of the ticket giveaway at Shane Oek. At Shane Oek. Congratulations. Uh, thank you to everyone who participated. Thank you, um, everybody, and those who won. Uh, and thanks to those who communicate uh, with myself and in this show. Because uh, tomorrow, I'm a little discombobulated right now, going back to this whole trade deadline thing. But uh, tomorrow, I'll be putting a mailbag video up, answering audience questions on the Facebook page. Facebook.com slash Celticsbeat. Facebook.com slash Celticsbeat. You will see yours truly. And in said video, we will have details on March's ticket giveaway and also a March Madness Bracket League, which we will do. Free entry with plenty of prizes, so stay tuned to that. Facebook.com slash CelticsBeat for the mailbag video for audience questions and a whole lot more. We'll be back on schedule next week. Uh, notice no pregame show today. It was all deadline all the time today, and I know there was uh, the big game too on Friday. That was a tough loss, but uh, we usually do the pregame here, so here's going to be our pregame today. Celtics have a game tonight against the Pistons. Hopefully they win that one. Because uh, uh, is that, ooh, the Larry H. Russell Celtics regression to the means? Is, is that coming? They've now bookended the All-Star break with two real tough, bad luck losses. Real bad luck loss against Chicago. The, and, of course, the, the Friday against Toronto. That one, uh, that, that one could have some repercussions. Um, but we will see how it plays out the rest of the week. It's a tricky week at that. A lot of games, good teams, a lot of travel. they got to go out west again. Uh, so we will see. Uh, until next Sunday, because that is going to be it here for episode number 198. Music, Chuck Dietz and Steph Legretto. Staff writer, Eddie Santiago. CLNS founder, Nick Gelso. This is Larry H. Russell. See everyone next Sunday for another edition of Celtics Beat, powered by CLNS Radio.